Welcome to the Wisdom Lifestyle Money Show. I'm your host, Scott Dillingham. The goal of the show is to show you how you can grow personally, financially, have a larger net worth, and leverage your largest asset to help you develop the person you want to be. I take you through all the steps I did from being nothing to being told that I was nobody and I was never going to accomplish anything, from getting kicked out of high school to owning a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio in my own company with more than 20 employees. You'll meet our partners, you'll meet our friends, you'll quickly discover how you can improve your life. So listen in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Wisdom Lifestyle Money Show. I'm your host, Scott Dillingham. Today I have a very important guest that you're gonna love meeting. His name is Mike Peters. He runs our commercial mortgage division here at Lens City Mortgages. Welcome, Mike. Welcome, Scott. Pleased to be here. It's about time that uh, we were able to find the time we've been so busy with commercial mortgages. Yes, I'm so glad that you're here. And I know our show is mostly based on foreign investors. But one of the things that we always do um, before we kind of dive into the nitty gritty is we go over your upbringing and how you got to from a child to here. That's it. I'm a born and raised Windsor, South Windsor boy. Uh, went to Massey High School. Had a great childhood. Lots of friends. Uh, my dad was a very successful businessman. And so we didn't really want for anything. It took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I always had a keen interest on why things were placed where they are. For example, why is that Tim Hortons there versus there? How many pizza parlors can you have on a block? And so I ended up going to um, University of Waterloo. I took urban planning at University of Windsor first. Okay. And then uh, then I decided to work for a while at Chrysler's on the line. I've held uh, several jobs before I finally got serious about school. Got into the University of Waterloo as an adult student and got my master's degree in economic development. Okay. And that took five years. Came back to the city of Windsor because of my love for the city of Windsor. Uh, I was the youngest certified economic developer in Canada. I was the only one to hold both a master's degree and certification, and I was highly recruited across the country. But uh, I came back to Windsor and uh, immediately was part of what was called Prosperity 2000. And this was a collaborative of about 300 community leaders during a recession where we knew we had to come up with a strategy because of how strongly we were tied to the automotive industry. And it was basically a diversification strategy that a lot of the strategies that you're seeing come to fruition today, the foundation is back in those days. Um, It was a real exciting initiative to be a part of. But one of the things I found frustrating being in municipal government is just it moves like a tortoise. Yeah, you super know, slow, yeah. We, you know, we hear that about guys right now trying to get uh, permits for various types of constructions, these uh, third houses, the gentrification, that kind of thing, that are real important to our city. So I just couldn't take the slow pace. Uh, so I wrote an economic development strategy for Union Gas. Okay. Sent it to the president of Union Gas, and within a week, I'm sitting with the vice president of marketing, and he says, come to Union Gas and set this up. Because I saw where in the U.S. the utilities were heavily involved in promoting regions. Uh, everybody's competing for the same dollars, right? Uh, it all boils down to you don't want to trade local dollars. You want to bring in new dollars if your local economy is going to uh, grow and expand. Okay. Uh, 
we were for too long just trading dollars in Windsor. You know, automotive guys' income was going to the grocery store and other things, buying new cars, but it all stayed local. So if you're going to grow the economy, it's about promoting yourself outside the region. I worked at Union Gas. That was during a period of a lot of acquisitions. We purchased Centra Gas, and I ended up with 815 municipalities and a budget of about half a million bucks. And it was kind of difficult to figure out, do you give it to the Stratford Festival? Do you give money to the new arena and put your name on it? What do you do? Um, it was a lot of hospitality suites and entertaining a lot of uh, politicians. I went to all the annual conferences. I was AMO, you name them, small municipalities, large municipalities, uh, and just really got a good feel for the bigger province and each of their unique niches. One of, one of the groups I was with was uh, the Canadian Council for Public-Private Partnerships, okay. which was a really neat organization. It was high-level executives. And each quarter, we would travel to a different jurisdiction in Canada, taste the flavor of Halifax. Uh, we went to Saskatoon and ate bison, saw the cliff where the native uh, indigenous people would run the buffaloes off the cliff. But I got to hear what CIBC was doing in their local communities. And we went to one small mining town that had lost the mine and the individual who owned it, basically owned the town. He was one of the first to do the murals. And the whole town went from mining to tourism, just like that, because of one strong individual. Uh, and so I brought that, con that concept to Essex. Town of Essex was the first to adopt it, murals all over, all over the town of Essex. I then again became disgruntled with the slow pace of a, basically as a monopoly. So I went from bureaucracy to monopolies. My background in economic development, I did some cartography and I also designed the marketing strategy for this region, which required that I get in an airplane and take pictures of industrial parks. And I'd fly over golf courses and I go, you know what, I want to get into the golf course mapping business. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I actually quit Union Gas and started a, a golf course mapping business, mainly in Florida. I had partnerships with all of the senior architects, the big name people, etc. And then September 11th hit, couldn't put any planes in the air. And I had about a million dollars worth of contracts. So got into Homeland Security mapping, targets for potential terrorists, such as amusement parks, government campuses, university campuses. And then I got into fleet tracking. I got into equipment tracking. I've just been an entrepreneur ever since. And that's basically since 1999. Then I found that a lot, of, so I have a personal desire to assist business, which goes back to my economic development days where trying to diversify, like getting the plastics companies that are making taillights to potentially make Halloween baskets, you know, or anything out of plastic, toboggans, etc. And so I was successful at that. Um, and I enjoyed that. But I had the entrepreneur flavor in my genes from day one. Partnered with an engineering firm. We were looking at uh, remote monitoring of water wells. There's 800 water wells in, in Ontario that there aren't being monitored. Contamination is an issue. And one of our customers wanted some financing, so I got into business finance okay. uh, and represented a company out of Toronto. They knew because of my background being as diverse as it was, an entrepreneur, 
my master's degree and all my other experiences that, and my relationships in the province that, that I'd be a good candidate to represent them. One of the first things I did was go to the local um, incubators, accelerators, et cetera, and see if there was any small companies that needed some assistance in finding financing to grow their business. And as a result of that, I, I was invited to work with the accelerator to try to figure out some things to get uh, them growing and expanding. And one of the things that we determined is that they should probably get a consolidation mortgage. And that's how I met Mr. Scott Dillingham. That's right. You were able to obtain a mortgage based on a site visit and COVID hit. Yeah. So things kind of slowed down for myself and... Uh, I assist. I did some home renovations, and now that things have picked up, I I am rocking and rolling in the commercial mortgage space. I've got uh, I've got a good team. Uh, want to grow the team? I would like a new agent in the Maritimes and one in Western Canada. It's it's complex. It's shifting constantly. We were doing all kinds of uh, refinances on on duplexes. Now I'm moving into plazas. The loan to values are changing. The whole dynamics, every week is different. And it's keeping me on my toes, and I just love it. That's good. Just That's good. It. And for an investor listening, he said duplexes. And so somebody might be like, what? You don't get a commercial mortgage on a duplex. But you do. So could you elaborate why someone who, who maybe is declined from their bank on the residential side, who wants to buy a duplex, how going to you f through commercial, how that changes things? Yeah. First of all, one of the reasons they may have been declined by the bank is that they're personally at their limit, right? And that's, that's the main reason. Or that their income went down during COVID. Could be a number of reasons why they got declined at the bank. The first, first thing that a bank will look at on the commercial side of the thing on a commercial mortgage is the income generating capabilities of the property. It's property first and foremost, it's the appraisal, it's the rent roll against the expenses. And the big banks are looking for about a dollar thirty in income for every dollar in expenses. Uh, credit unions are a little more lenient and even a little better, higher loan to value. So they look at that first is that whole property's financial situation. And then they'll back it up with a personal net worth statement. It doesn't have to be all that strong a personal net worth statement. It just has to basically say that this duplex, if somebody was to leave today, walk out on their lease, can that mortgage be covered for one or two months until it's back on the market? And so I highly recommend that it's done uh, on the commercial side because it then, again, removes some of the stuff on your personal side and allows you as you move forward to buy a bigger primary residence because it's not all tied to your personal net worth. I love it. So just to recap, because um, I understand your terms, but maybe somebody, this is all new to them. And before I actually reiterate that, just to confirm though, would you say, because I tell people it's like 90 to 95% about the property and commercial and maybe five to 10% about the borrower. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I'd say that was accurate till about two weeks ago. And okay. I'd say she's about 80-20 now. 80-20, okay. Yeah, Good say, for me to know. Yeah, because just because of the... They are evaluating the commercial properties a little more stringently today than they okay. were a couple. And they're doing that on the residential side too. But just to go back to recapping, so pretty much what Mike is saying is, say 
your bank does say, no, you're at your debt ratio limits, you can't afford anymore, or like you said, your income went down from COVID, on commercial, maybe 20% of your application now is based on your income and the other 80 is the property and what it generates and what it can do. So I have seen Mike actually get clients who on the residential side, we couldn't help them. We could get them a private mortgage, um, but then through commercial, Mike was able to move forward. Uh, when I knew, and I actually knew about these opportunities before starting the commercial division or having Mike start it, but the idea to start it. And uh, I knew that this was an avenue for investors to really grow and expand their portfolio that other you know, brokers or agents or people were not looking at. Because if you look around, very few people actually have a commercial team in-house where we do. So it's really, really cool. So I think that summarizes that. But uh, could you talk maybe a little bit more about, so the lenders are, are tightening up. We do know this, right? Because the market's cooling. We're at the end of 2022, pretty much by the time we're recording this. Uh, what are you seeing in the marketplace so that the investors can be aware of this and maybe strategize a, a little bit better? One of the new things that I'm seeing is fair market rents. Now, one of the one of the issues that that just has happened recently and why less duplexes are getting refinanced is everybody thought that, well, my property just almost doubled in value and that I'm going to be able to take out half of the value of the property. It's all about what the rents will support. And so there was some confusion amongst clients in, in that area. Um, the best scenario or the best avenue is actually a vacant property and going in there and doing some renovations so you get a, a short-term private loan or a short-term variable some of the lenders are doing or short-term fixed some of the lenders are doing that with money for renovating uh, on the condition that without a penalty for breaking the mortgage as soon as the property's done and it's re reappraised um, then it goes to a conventional mortgage so i'm seeing more of that the rate's slightly higher than than a regular uh, fixed one-year rate because you don't have to pay the penalty. When you're done, you, refi you reappraise, refinance, and you're in business. Now you can set fair market rents yeah. versus legacy rents. That has been a, that's been a tough thing is that the rents have not gone up to support the new mortgage amount if somebody's trying to take some money out. What I do find is that the more units in a residential commercial property the higher loan to value you're going to get. For example, if you purchase a condo, you've got one tenant, that tenant leaves, then you've got a couple months of repositioning the condo. Whereas you, if you have a duplex, then you've got that other lease to continue to support. So it's less on you personal. You get to a fourplex. Each one of those stages, the loan to value increases. Okay. Um, so that's something to consider. And those properties are, are, Windsor had an abundance of them uh, yeah. until they got a lot of them got uh, consumed or yeah. <laughs> over the last with the rates the way that they were. So I, I really think that these programs that are, the banks are adjusting. I mean, this, you know, they're adjusting and they're, I'm just seeing this stuff change every day. And for example, I have a, a client that's buying a unique property, uh, has plans for it, has limited down payment. But the bank is prepared to work with that client and give him a short-term higher interest rate, 7.7% yeah. higher interest rate to get the work done, enough money to get the work done, reposition the property, and then refinance it without a penalty. So that's one of the 
areas I see things moving. And that is also not just commercial or residential. That's happening with plazas because plazas were devastated, right? You still have so many empty storefronts. They're looking at that. If the investor is willing to take some of the proceeds, upgrade the facility, because a lot of these plazas are somewhat older, and then get it back on, reposition that property, the banks are with them. Okay. The banks are with them. No, that's cool. Now, without saying the business name or the exact property, can you go over like the different class of properties, like retail, apartment buildings? Could you touch on some of the stuff that we do in the commercial division? We've... uh, We've done just about everything. Uh, we've gone to the goal line on a $12 million industrial complex. We've, uh, we've done in- industrial where it's the office up front and the small manufacturing in the back. That's sort of like a tool and die startup or a fixture engaged startup. That, that falls pretty heavily on the business itself. You need two years taxes. Okay. Uh, one of the other things I want to mention before I go there, though, on the commercial residential, is that if you set up a hold company, a hold co, to to make these next purchases, your commercial purchases, uh, it will fall on you personally, your PNW, to support that new hold co. But after two years, the hold co has generated enough revenue, and you acquire properties under the hold co. So there's some advantages to that. Nice. So that's what we're seeing. Uh, a lot of right now with these smaller, I call them commercial condos, where you're kind of living up front, but that's the operation. That's the business. You're working up front. You're manufacturing in the back. And so you, you even may have two tenants, the uh, two somebody in the back and somebody in the front, and you put that in the whole co. Again, it's the strength of the lease. So we're seeing more of those. Now on the plaza side, if there's an anchor tenant, the property is usually very favorably seen in the bank size okay. versus a bunch of what I would call boutique type. Yeah, like mom and pop mom, type stores. Right. So you want to try to find an anchor. It's like Devonshire Mall. Right? You got Sears, you got the Bay. That's the concept of... Although Sears is a bad example. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Is Bay still there? I haven't been in the mall. The Bay's still there, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, that's a bad example. But that was the same concept that we wanted here in the city. Yeah, the concept applies for sure. You want a big key. The casino there, a convention center there, another recreation center there draws people within the corridor. So we are seeing a lot more uh, retail plazas. Okay. Uh, We have had a couple of recent deals that are multi-unit apartment buildings. In those instances, we've had fair market rents, let's say seventeen fifty for a two bedroom apartment, but then you got the legacy rents and at seven hundred and fifty bucks for the same unit that somebody's paying seven hundred and fifty. So the loan to values on those, um, that's a deeper pocket type investment. Fifty percent, fifty to sixty percent loan to value um, on those types of units. If it has older if a lot has, of older tenants. Yeah, legacy leases. But we work with investors to turn those over because sometimes investors turn over those properties, they renovate them, whatever, re-rent them for higher amounts, right? And then they come back and they get really good like CMHC financing. Yeah, it, they get that. Plus they get reimbursed the renovation costs if uh, if it's yeah. a significant enough uh, piece of property that there's multiple units. CMHC changes the rules 
pretty frequently. CMHC originates, you can probably say better than me because you're more residential, but helping the first time home buyer, et cetera. And what their goal is, is in the multi tenant residential commercial space is affordability. Okay. Uh, to continue to maintain a base of inventory of single and, and two bedroom units that are affordable. Um, it makes sense. It's a crown corporation. Yeah. Right? So if you're willing to reduce your energy footprint, if you're redu- willing to have your, your base rents about 80% below market rent across 80% of your building, et cetera, they've got some programs where they'll give you 100% financing. Wow. But you got to maintain that for 10 years. So if somebody's looking for a long-term investment in a building that they really like and they feel it in 10 years, you know, like my kids can inherit this or whoever, yeah. then CMHC is there to help. Okay. But their goal is to keep people off the streets in affordable housing you know, under market rents. And so we've sent a number of deals to them recently. And... Um, they just haven't quite fit because a lot of investors don't want to wait that 10 years yeah. to that that clause in the contract. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, everybody has different goals when they invest, so that's it differs for sure. Uh, so I know we talked about just the different options and stuff. Uh, I know some of our lenders, and again, not saying any lenders' names, but some of the cool things that I've discovered is on your commercial side, some we don't have stress tests anymore. Is that right? Yeah, really. I used just to a handful. I, yeah, I I used to for every lender have to write do out a calculation, which is debt coverage ratio, which is is the stress test, and uh, they're not asking for that anymore. They're just asking for the file, and right. and actually they're doing it on their own, and and the test is uh, is not as stringent as, as it was. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I'm pleased not to have to actually do that. They're taking that upon themselves because it used to be that I would run the stress test and it would be consistent across all lenders that I may introduce a deal to. And one of the things that I will mention that's different, I don't shop lenders. I send a deal to one lender and that lender reviews the deal and has the right of first refusal before I'll pass it on to another lender because in the commercial space, it's lender relationship-based. And I've worked as hard at that, establishing those relationships with lenders as I have trying to get deals done. Because if if you can, if I can get a lender, like I've got a, a real tight line deal that uh, commercial, again, takes 45 to 60 days usually. Yeah. And when when I see a deal that I personally in my heart, I want to get it done, I know that I can call a lender that will look at it within hours of me calling him. And that's really important. I would say too, just to add to this, is you do try to research and see the lender that will approve it, but also give the client the best rate. You're not just going to someone who's got a high rate. You you know exactly what the lender can and cannot do. And you're going to them the first time. Because I agree, there's no reason to send it to 50 lenders when you know only two will do it, yeah. and one's a low rate and one's a high rate. So, of course, you're going to send to the low rate one. And they know the if a deal's being shopped. And so that's what part of our letter of engagement uh, that we have with each client is we engage the client, and we would like them to list who has seen the deal okay. so that we don't send it. If it's been declined by a lender and they're now coming to us, they're not going to send it to the same lender. And, uh, yeah, because 
they don't like it if the deal has been the commercial deal has been widely shot. Yeah. Because they can see if a credit got pulled a week ago from because they're looking at someone's PNW to support a deal and they pull the credit and then this guy goes and pulls credit goes Mike this was just pulled yesterday. What are you sending me? So so it's important that our clients are upfront about uh, who they have dealt with in the past. But the thing about us, Scott, and I know you know this, is that a lot of our commercial clients have a long-established relationship with an institution. I'm finding this, I won't mention the client, but in Kenora, for example, the guy's been working with a big five forever. As their policies change and don't fit the needs of the client anymore, and you can have a massive portfolio with a big institution, we're starting to see a lot of those come our way. And, and, you know, they just, they want something different. They want something that, that fits their needs and their ability to grow because a lot of the big banks won't let them grow beyond a certain threshold. Okay. So it's seeing quite a bit of that. And so speaking of thresholds, let's say I want to buy a bunch of investment properties and I've decided commercial is the best way to go, or maybe I'm actually looking at commercial properties, not just to have the commercial guidelines. Is there a cap to how many rental properties you guys can do on the commercial side? No, there's no cap. Um, now, some of our lenders, so we deal with the front, front line deal assessor at the institution, establish that relationship. They have caps. So, for example, if a, one of our clients wants a blanket across eight properties, that could put it at a $5 million total blanket, whereas our front line individual has the ability to approve a mortgage on their own to send it to adjudication or credit department at anything under a million two. Okay. So if it goes up the ladder, higher rate, uh, less loan to value. So in that instance, it's one at a time. Uh, So some of our lenders have our frontline people have certain amounts they can approve. And as I say, if it is a 5 million deal and it's over the their limit, it tends to go up to the next level executive. And I'm finding that when it gets there, the rate is higher and the loan to value is... Yeah, they're tougher. Management is always tougher. Yeah, especially when it's a big deal. So Yeah, it's a stage strategy I would recommend for most investors. We're doing a refi right now on numerous properties and two are getting in at a time because they fall within under the 1.2 million that this person can approve. Okay, cool. No, it's interesting to see, but uh, no, cool. So there's no caps, which is great. So that's another way if if somebody is, not that they're maxed out on the residential side because there are options we can still do for investors, but sometimes the options become too costly and they don't make financial sense. So we'll often refer them over to you guys as well because it's best for the client. So no, that's really cool. And you mentioned the team that you have a team already. I know there's three of you and you're looking to expand. So you're looking for two more, you said? Yeah, I'd love work because of uh, your marketing engine, sir. I'm getting deals. I just got mobile home parks in British Columbia. Um, I'm getting deals all over the country. And so, yes, I'd be looking for an experienced residential person in either one of those areas that are thinking that they might want to become full-time commercial. Okay. So I haven't really started to put the feelers out. Okay. Uh, but we'll be doing so soon because we do have enough deals throughout the country to uh, to start to spread some of, some of them around. 
That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. And I have some big things planned, so you guys are going to be even busier. I look forward to it. As I say, I, I, I've done a lot in, in my life, but this keeps me, it, it pulls everything, all my experiences together. That's cool. And it's, it's just so much fun. I get up in the morning and I go, oh, damn, that happened. And like that happened this morning. <laughs> and it's like, how do we figure this one out? Because each day is a challenge, right? Yeah. And each, each person's situation is unique. Yep. And, and you have to move with the flow. Don't like not being able to do a deal, but at, with these rates changing, we've, we're getting discussion papers, but they got to put the word out there that the rates are, are not what they were. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it stabilizes and potentially in the third quarter of next year, yeah. maybe we start to see a little bit of drop. But the reality is that unit three weeks ago that you might have been able to take 200 grand out of, uh, you can't right now yeah you take maybe i'm making a number up but maybe it's 150 now or yeah because the rates went up yep exactly yeah and that happens on the residential side too right as the rates go up the stress test increases and it shrinks there the opportunity in that instance is as well as the property values are going down so that 200 might have been able to buy the duplex two months ago well the 150 will now yeah so it's a trade-off yep i agree now that's awesome so Let's say you're listening to this, you're an investor, and you want to move forward with the commercial type of application or to, to speak with you about the options. How would they get in touch with you? Well, there's several ways. You can email me directly at mike at lenscity.ca. You can call our, our phone number here, and they can patch us through. In our office line, it's 519-960-0370. And I know you're going to help me. I know we're wrapping this up, but uh, we're, we are working on... A, an investing course and I look forward to having you be part of that from the commercial standpoint to show the natural flow and to help investors that are stuck with their financing that don't have those options. Uh, the course is going to show them how to unlock that. That is one of the things I'll say in closing is that I am spending 25% of my time uh, coaching and I love it. So if you are interested in investing in commercial properties or it just you're moving commercial because of what we just said about PNWs, et cetera. And so you're contemplating commercial. First thing to do is get in touch with us and we create a file. I can tell immediately where it fits yeah. in terms of what kind of property uh, that you might be able to acquire and grow your net worth. Like I, I can do that in a half hour. Which is incredible. And it's cool because a regular investor doesn't know this, but I guess it's not cool, but there's a flow of where you should apply for your mortgages first. And if you do that out of order, you limit the properties, you limit getting the best rates, the lowest fees, that type of thing. So there's a process. So if you're getting started, it's always best to work with an expert. Where if you already have a portfolio, I'm often seeing, and I don't know if you see it, but I see it on the residential side, we're redoing most of their financing because yeah. it was set up incorrectly or just not for growth. Yeah. And we're redoing it and making it for growth. Yeah. And, and again, all those people that have significant portfolios with one institution and a longstanding relationship, that institution is going to want to continue to keep your business, but it's not always in your best interest to stay with that institution because there's, we see all the programs. They just see that one institution's programs. Yeah. And, and we've got the Bible on what's out there. I agree. Awesome. 
thanks so much for coming on, Mike. It was a really thanks good show. I loved having you. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. If you're serious about real estate investing and you want to take it to the next level with the least amount of time and mistakes, then you're going to want to sign up for our Real Estate Investor Hub. Visit CanadianRealEstateNetwork.com and hit the blue button or banner that says Free Investor Resources. Inside, you'll have access to real estate investing courses, networking opportunities, webinars featuring industry professionals as well as dedicated chat channels to share and get access to unique properties. I look forward to seeing you there.